0: blot out the past and forget Texas' ingratitude toward you.
1: Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star Estate share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elstrom. He was an Eastern doctor, who sought to restore his fortune in Texas, rising to become a respected statesman and the last president of the Republic of Texas. This week, we talk about Anson Jones, Texas' last president. But first, what's your favorite place you ever drank a Texas-made soda? Well,
2: I'm not a fan of Dr. Pepper, so I'll go with the other Texas soda. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll go with Big Red, uh, and I'm not a big fan of Big Red either, but I remember drinking a nice big ice-cold cup of Big Red from alsops coming back from a junior high basketball game in the school bus. So it was a good memory.
1: Well, I, um, I'll do a modern take on it. I do love Dr. Pepper and many fabulous Dr. Pepper and Big Red memories. But actually, modern take, Twisted Root, it's a great uh, chain of uh, – hand- quality gourmet hamburger places that have sprung up in Dallas and spread all over uh, twisted root as a homemade root beer. And uh, sometimes you can see they'll have camel burgers, elk burgers, alligator burgers, and they usually have root beer and then a very crazy flavor of root beer. But uh, the plain homemade root beer is always delicious.
2: Mm. I like their watermelon iced tea there. Mm. It's really good too.
0: Um, now I'm assuming we're talking about, we're not talking about oat sodas here. So i um, <laughs> I'm gonna say that uh, one of my favorite memories of Texas soda drinking was uh, sitting at the my nana's uh, dinner table, drinking a ice cold Dr Pepper after a long day running around outside with my cousins. Uh, that was uh, that was a good time.
1: Good times. Good times. Anson Jones was born on January twentieth, seventeen ninety eight to Solomon and Sarah Jones in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, the second youngest of fourteen children. Very little is known about Jones' early life other than what he himself told his family and friends. His family came from prominent English stock, but by the 1790s his father, a veteran of the Revolutionary War, was a simple tenant farmer. Jones' earliest memories, he said, were of the pleasant little village in Berkshire County. However, the Jones family moved 10 times in the first 18 years of his life from one farm to another. Jones was somewhat sickly and delicate as a child. His boyhood was spent working with his father so that he could afford to be educated. His mother died when he was 18, and Jones was faced with the prospect of determining his future. After considering learning his brother's saddlery trade, he hoped to become a printer. However, his father and sisters rather forcibly pressured him to study medicine, a decision that he said would lead to years of unhappiness. He later wrote about the decision to study medicine, quote, If I were to make it again, I certainly should take a different course.
2: For three years, he apprenticed with a series of Connecticut doctors, supporting himself from time to time teaching and clerking at his brother's grocery store. In 1820, Jones finally finished his apprenticeship and was licensed as a doctor by the Oneida, New York Medical Society and he began medical practice in Bainbridge, New York, in 1822. Unfortunately, his practice didn't do well because there was already an older and more established doctor in the area. After several months of steadily increasing debt, he moved to Norwich, where he opened a drugstore. This also failed miserably, and he was only saved from debtor's prison thanks to the generosity of a friend who bought out a store. He still had other debts from Oneida and Bainbridge, and so he set out for, quote, the West— heading for harpers ferry virginia
0: he made it as far as philadelphia and then was arrested by a creditor the creditor took his watch and all of his money but okay <clears throat> the creditor took his watch and all but all of his money except for $20 to settle the debt jones decided to stay in philadelphia which was a growing city with few doctors to open his own medical office Unfortunately, Jones didn't prosper, possibly due to his quiet, reticent personality, which often kept him from making connections with people and growing a base of patience. His lack of patience and desire to live beyond his means put him in debt yet again, and he resorted to teaching school. He lasted in Philadelphia until 1824, when he received an offer from the American Council to move to the newly independent Venezuela for two years. According to the book, Anson Jones, the last president of Texas by Herbert Gambrel. It was ironic that Jones had failed to succeed in the second biggest city in the United States, but found success in a country that was so healthy that there were only two doctors, one of whom had quit to become a coffee planter. In those two years in the Venezuelan capital of Caracas, Jones worked hard to save money in order to
1: pay off his debt. He also gained experience and self-confidence. After two years, Gambrel wrote, Quote, the Anson Jones, who returned to Philadelphia, had qualities and capacities lacking in the Anson Jones, who had come to Caracas two years before. When he returned in 1826, he opened a medical office and took up the formal study of medicine, qualifying for an M.D. degree at the all-new Jefferson Medical College. He also became involved in various fraternal orders, becoming a Mason and an Odd Fellow. He became master of his Masonic Lodge and Grand Master of the Independent Order of Odd Fellows in Pennsylvania. All of this put him in good standing in Philadelphia society, but growing his social circle ultimately failed to help his medical practice prosper. In many ways, his preoccupation and fixation with the fraternal societies resulted in a lot of professional and personal strain. By late 1832, he was done with Philadelphia.
2: In October 1832, Jones resigned from his lodges, he renounced medicine, and closed his practice, even though his friends advised him that things weren't as bad as he was making them out to be. Jones decided to move to New Orleans to become a commission merchant there. He picked the wrong time to do so. When he arrived, the city was already in the midst of a yellow fever epidemic, and a cholera one had just broken out. The city's population had reduced by 20,000 in six months in 1832. Now, one would think that a good physician would be needed at a time like this, and indeed and indeed, three physicians who were treating victims of the plagues in the city would later found the Tulane Medical College. But Jones wasn't interested in medicine. He focused on setting up his business and once again watching that business fail miserably. He eventually returned to medicine reluctantly to pay off his debts and to keep himself from starving. After a year, he was once again dead broke and despondent.
0: In New Orleans, however, Jones made the acquaintance of a ship captain named Captain Jerry Brown, who regularly plied the coast to deliver supplies and settlers to the new Anglo colonies in neighboring Texas. Like most of the Texians who were everywhere in New Orleans of 1833, Brown was an evangelist for his home country and regularly tried to persuade Dr. Jones that Texas was a land of opportunity for a man like him. Educated men were starting to come into the territory, but there were not enough physicians, and doctors could make a fortune. Like so many others, Texas was a land of opportunity and reinvention for Anson Jones. In October 1833, Anson Jones set out for Texas on Captain Brown's ship with $32 in cash and $50 worth of medical supplies, leaving behind $2,000 in debt.
1: That's how you do it. (laughs) Yeah. You just leave your debt in Louisiana and cross that river. Yeah.
2: Or your family or your wife mm-hmm. or creditors
1: or all of or, li- app-
2: or people you swindled their land. Yeah. Or all of them. Or fake <laughs> land.
1: <laughs> Jones eventually settled in the coastal town of Brazoria in Stephen Austin's colony. It was in Texas at last that he met with success. He established a medical practice that prospered quickly and was able to acquire cheap land grants with his profits. For a few years, he quietly assimilated into the frontier country, making friends with leading colonists, including Stephen Austin. As the political situation with Mexico began to deteriorate, he spoke out in letters to his peers about the growing tension. He like Austin was generally aligned with the Peace Party, who favored negotiation with Santa Ana rather than violence like the War Party radicals. In 1835, he attended the consultation meeting in nearby Colombia about the approaching conflict. By this time, it was clear that negotiations wouldn't work and war was inevitable. Jones himself presented a resolution at the consultation calling for a convention to be held to declare independence. But, reluctant to get further involved in politics, he refused to be nominated to that convention. When the war came, Jones served as a judge advocate and surgeon to the Texas Army, though he insisted on holding the rank of private throughout the conflict. He served in Houston's Army during the runaway scrape, and treated the wounded after the Battle of San Jacinto. On the field of San Jacinto, he found Juan Alamante's journal, an order book, which he sent to the New York Herald for publication in June 1836. After the war, Jones returned to Brazoria to resume his quiet and prosperous medical practice.
2: When he got back to Brazoria, Jones found that James Collinsworth, who had gone to the Independence Convention and signed for Brazoria, had set up a law practice in his office. There was an angry confrontation, and Jones evicted Collinsworth. The quiet, unassuming Jones even challenged Collinsworth to a duel, although it never occurred. Jones quickly settled back into his life in Brazoria, once again fixating, as he had in Philadelphia, on his beloved fraternal societies. Freemasonry and other secret orders were generally outlawed under Santa Ana's government due to the rivalry between the Yorkish and Scottish rights, but also because of the Scottish rights' association with American national interests. Given the fact that almost all the leaders of the Texas Revolution were Masons, it should come as no surprise that when it was clear a break was coming with Mexico, thoughts turned to organizing a Masonic Lodge in Texas. Anson Jones was one of those men who wanted to see this happen. On March 1st of 1835, just a few months
0: before the Revolution began, Jones met with four other Master Masons, John Wharton, Asa Brigham, James Phelps, and Alexander Russell, in a cemetery grove near Brazoria. There they agreed to petition the Grand Master of Louisiana, John Holland, for a charter to form the First Masonic Lodge in Texas. They got their dispensation from Holland in December and began meeting in Brazoria until April, when Santa Ana's army forced the evacuation of the town. The charter for Holland Lodge Number 36, as Texas First Masonic Lodge was called, was finally delivered to Jones during the final days of the Revolution, and he carried it in his saddlebags during the Battle of San Jacinto. After the revolution was over and people finally started returning to their homes, the Lodge was reformed in the new capital of Houston in November 1837. In December, the Holland Lodge held a convention with other Masons in Nacogdoches and San Augustine in order to establish a Grand Lodge of the Republic of Texas. Jones was elected its first Grand Master. In addition to his Masonic activities, he helped establish the Independent Order of Odd Fellows in Texas, becoming its first Grand Master. Finally, the 41-year-old bachelor decided the time was right to finally settle down domestically. He married Mary Smith on May 17, 1840. She was an 18-year-old widow who Jones had met in Houston. They would have four children. Samuel Houston, later changed to Samuel Edward, born 1841, Charles Edward, born 1843, Sally S., born 1845, and Cromwell Anson, born 1849. It
1: was only natural that the prosperous and respected doctor, well-regarded in his community and a mason, would be called upon him by his neighbors to serve in the new Republic's Congress. His personal rivalry with James Collingsworth continued due to Collinsworth's connections with the new Texas Railroad Navigation and Banking Company, a trust which Jones vehemently opposed. Jones was elected to the Second Texas Congress in 1838 as an opponent of the company. As a member of Congress who traveled internationally, he was selected to serve on and chair the Committee on Foreign Relations. His most significant act in Congress, though, was to call for the withdrawal of the Texas proposal for annexation by the United States. Jones recognized that support for the annexation in the U.S. was not as strong as it needed to be, and the Texas position in the matter was very weak. As a treaty hadn't been signed with Mexico, Texas was technically still at war, and American annexation would lead to war with Mexico. Jones feared that such a conflict may draw in England on the side of Mexico and might even split the United States into civil war. There was virtually no chance, in 1838, of Texas annexation by the United States to work, and even Houston, its biggest proponent, could see the logic in Congress's position.
2: As the second Congress wrapped its session, Jones expected to return to his practice in Missouri. However. President Sam Houston instead appointed him minister to the United States and tasked Jones with formally withdrawing the annexation proposal. Jones was to use his position to help encourage the United States, as well as the European powers, to grant Texas recognition as an independent nation and to begin to set up trade relations with those powers in order to make annexation of Texas more attractive to the United States. Jones served as the minister to the United States until 1839 when he was recalled to Texas by new president Mirabeau Lamar. Once again, he expected to return to his home, but he found himself elected to a partial term in the Senate, where he quickly became a critic of Lamar's administration, and he was allied to Sam Houston, whom he admired at the time. He retired from the Senate in 1841, declining the opportunity to serve as vice president under Houston when he was re-elected in favor of returning to his medical practice.
0: Late in 1841, Houston named Jones... Texas Secretary of State, to continue the task of either gaining annexation from the United States, recognition of Texas independence from Mexico, or preferably both at the same time. Their strategy was complex and devious. Houston and Jones directed their ministers and agents in France and England to pursue alliances with both countries, building a complicated web of offers and counteroffers that would let each power gain leverage and advantage over Mexico, the United States, and each other. Mexico was given promises of Texas claims on the Rio Grande and New Mexico, and the U.S. was faced with the threat of winding up with a foreign-dominated power on its southern border. Though they worked together, Houston and Jones had different ideas on what should happen. Houston vacillated between annexation and continued independence. Jones didn't have much hope in annexation to go through and favored a strong alliance with the European power.
1: This complicated web of intrigue and negotiation continued into the end of 1844 when Houston left office and Jones was elected the new president of Texas. Jones knew that independence was failing, with Texas sinking further and further into debt. Settling the annexation question was pretty much the sole focus of the new administration. Fortunately, Texas suddenly became one of the hot topics in the United States presidential election. President Tyler, sinking re-election, badly bungled an attempt to push through an annexation treaty on his own initiative without Senate approval. The stunt cost him his re-election prospects, and Jones once again turned to the British and the French. He approached them with promises of a trade alliance if they would help negotiate a treaty with Mexico that would recognize Texas' independence.
2: This time, it was Jones that misread the situation. Houston had seen this approach as simply a tactic to scare the United States into a decision, but Jones seemed to take it seriously and had been insulted by Tyler's failure. Despite Tyler's rebuke in Congress, popular opinion in the United States was increasingly in favor of annexation of Texas. New presidential candidate James K. Polk exploited Manifest Destiny fever to a victory in a very close presidential election. Congress quickly voted a joint resolution to offer annexation to Texas on February 27, 1845. Jones tried to stall the Texas Congress to give the negotiations with Mexico time to be completed, but he badly misjudged the mood of the Texan people. The public recognized that Jones' actions could derail the annexation, and few Texans had any faith in the goodwill of the European powers or especially of the Mexican government. Jones became wildly unpopular to the point of being burned in effigy and threatened with lynching. Jones' attempts to backpedal only added to the scorn and contempt heaped upon him by the newspapers and ordinary Texans. In June
0: 1845, Jones finally achieved his long-sought offer of recognition and peace from Mexico, and he called the Texas Congress into session to consider the choice. In short order, Congress quickly rejected the Mexican offer, accepted annexation, and voted to censure Jones. The next month, a special convention wrote a state constitution. The Texas Constitution was approved by the U.S. Congress, and on December 29, 1845, President Polk made it official, signing the annexation resolution that admitted Texas as one of the United States of America. The last official act of Anson Jones as president of the Republic of Texas was to attend the ceremony on February 19, 1846, in which the American flag was raised over the Texas Capitol in Austin. In Jones' words, as he took down the Texas flag, quote,
1: the Republic of Texas is no more. Jones hoped that the new Texas state legislature would send him to the United States Senate, but his unpopularity over the annexation crisis effectively ended his political career. He was passed over in favor of Sam Houston and Thomas Rusk, and he became bitter about this slight. James Pinckney Henderson, who Jones dismissed as a, quote, gamester and a sot, was elected governor, and Jones was left in the cold. He had a successful medical practice, a large plantation near Washington on the Brazos, and extensive land holdings throughout East Texas, but it just wasn't enough for Jones. Nearly a decade in the public eye had become addicting to the once shy and reserved man, and he took it as a betrayal that he was now so ill used. He wrote to a friend predicting that his tombstone would someday read, quote, "Murdered by a country he served and saved."
2: During the last decade of his life, Jones wallowed in his disappointment, which was only accentuated by a crippling arm injury that came when he fell from his horse in 1849. He became increasingly moody and introspective and his dislike for Houston turned into hatred. Presumably, this is why he changed his eldest son's middle name from Houston to Edward. During this time, he edited his book, The Republic of Texas, which contained a brief autobiography, portions of his diaries, and annotated sections from his letters. In 1857, Sam Houston returned to Texas to run for governor, and in the same year, Thomas Rusk reeling from the death of his wife and the discovery of a tumor on his neck, committed suicide, vacating his Senate seat. Jones returned to Austin immediately on hearing the news, sure that finally Texas would call on him to fulfill his senatorial ambitions. He received exactly no votes in the state legislature, the Senate seat instead passing him over for James Pinckney Henderson.
0: Jones returned to his home despondent and his life quickly spiraled out of control. He traveled to Houston in January 1858 telling friends quote he desired to spend the remainder of his days in more social life than was possible on his farm and also to give his children the opportunities of a good education he sequestered himself in the old capitol hotel the building where he had once served in the republic legislature for four days other guests reported that he was drinking heavily during this time and he reportedly told a friend My public career began in this house, and I have been thinking that perhaps it might close here. He received a letter from his wife, who urged him to, quote, blot out the past and forget
1: Texas' ingratitude toward you. On the morning of January 10, 1858, his friend, W.H. Smith, stopping by to check on Jones, forced the locked door open after getting no response, and found Jones lying across his bed, dead from a pistol shot to the head. He was 59 years old, and was the fifth of Texas' major founders to have committed suicide in the years since the end of the Texas Revolution. His wife Mary inherited his considerable holdings and spent many years trying to untangle the complicated arrangements that Jones had set up, as well as having his book, The Republic of Texas, published in 1859. She died in 1907 and is buried next to Jones in Glenwood Cemetery in Galveston. In 1881, the state of Texas honored Jones by naming Jones County in West Texas after him, and the county seat is named Anson. A statue of Dr. Jones sits outside the county courthouse. Several schools throughout the state are also named for him. His plantation, Barrington, is today a part of the washington on the Brazos State Park, preserving the legacy of the last president of the Republic of Texas. Bomberman, Man. It's crazy to think that five of the major founding people of Texas just committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um,
2: and these were yeah, these were mercurial times and sometimes it takes a mercurial temperament to to be a part of these things. And it seems like Jones had a propensity towards, you know, towards melancholy and yeah, he was shy and reserved, but then once he got the taste of the taste of the big life, he wanted all of the big life. Right. He wanted all of the attention. So and he never could get over losing losing that
1: prestige and power. That said, he was a high-level Mason, so I'm guessing <laughs> there's a bunch of crazy secret runes written on the back of the Texas Constitution. <laughs> Just waiting for Nicolas Cage to discover them. Yeah.
2: Yes. Well, the, the the interesting thing that I find is, the Mason part is interesting, and uh, I, I want to learn more about the Oddfellows, because... I'd like to be an odd fellow. I think, um, but the, the interesting thing about his story is this complicated web of negotiation, counter negotiation that led to Texas finally getting annexed. It was a very interesting and kind of dangerous game that they were playing to turn all these factions, these these powers, powers against each other, and you know, competing with each other for you know the grand prize of a debt-ridden Texas.
1: Yeah. I—, I... But that said, you know, um, Texas was an important chess piece on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's. Um, in, I think eventually, what drove drove the annexation to happen was is uh, we don't want Mexico to have that position for sure, for sure.
2: And we certainly don't want Britain to have
1: it. We don't want Britain or France to have it.
0: Right. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that they, uh, you know, there were people fighting so hard uh, on the one hand to make peace with Mexico right after they'd fought you know, this bloody revolution to to gain independence. You know, it's like I can understand being neighbors, but to, uh, you know, actually push for that being the the primary driver of your independence and and your international relations is is interesting to me.
1: You say that, Scott, but then I think about um, the episode we did on Texas Ranger Samuel Walker and the Walker Cold uh, and uh, his uh, almost narrow-minded focus to single-handedly avenge himself against true. santa anna true yeah yes
2: well you know but the inter- the thing is uh, so the thing is though the peace was really a precondition for whatever annexation happened whether it be united states france or great britain and you know it eventually hit a point where america was willing to accept a war to get texas because that's exactly what happened that with you know if they wanted to have peace so that it could be a peaceful transition into whatever the next state was going to be, uh, and because they weren't they weren't really able to get that on the terms that Mexico wanted, um, their their condition for peace was that you don't go into the United States, and the Texas Congress rejected that, and they went to the United States, and war happened, and it was a bloody war, um, and Mexico came out the loser. So that is. That is what happened, you know. But I think a lot of people in 1838 they were more concerned about splitting the United States and having a civil war over Texas, and that was not going to be acceptable at that point.
0: No, it, they'd wait a few years for the civil war.
2: They they would wait a few years for that. Uh, here's the other thing I find interesting. For back to the beginning of his life, um, yeah, an apprenticeship with a doctor, and then suddenly you're you're a physician.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, education standards were much different. Yeah. In the, yeah, in the before time.
2: Yeah, there there was only one medical school in, or maybe two medical schools in the whole United States. Like one was in Boston, and one was in Philadelphia. Um, and then that the one that he went to was founded, and it was like the second medical school in Philadelphia. So, yeah, um, I, I, I do. I am slightly entertained
0: by the the whole, you know, the traditional pattern of well, I've got all these debts. I'm just going to pick up and move. <laughs> Yeah, uh, leave leave all those leave all those troubles behind.
2: Yeah, how do you have a country that's so healthy? There's only two doctors in the whole country. Uh, I don't know, let let I yeah.
1: we think we probably could put "healthy" in quotes around that. That um, people that died and nobody told them, or <laughs> they seem just fine. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have a whole lot of data there, but uh, (laughs)
0: it seems healthy if there were only two doctors in the entire country.
1: I did like the the phrase that he told uh, to a friend, murdered by a country he served and saved. Um, Because if uh, you've ever been on uh, this thing called Facebook, there's quite a few (laughs) uh, hilarious tombstones in Texas that are floating around on a few memes
2: yeah well, they didn't actually put that on his team.
1: no, I know, but I'm just saying it would be it would totally fit in Texas right next to the guy who put uh, I told you I was sick.
2: yeah well, so yeah, the reason we did this this episode is because, you know, we did fifteen parts on same Houston. Um, mm-hmm. and we did do you did do an episode on on his enemies, including. Uh, Mirabeau Lamar, but you know we've covered the, the 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 major presidents of Texas. We've we've covered all the presidents now because we've also talked about David G. Burnett. So Anson Jones is often the forgotten president, and um, it's important that we remember Anson Jones. You know why do we have a town called Anson out in the middle of West Texas in a county called Jones? And uh, it's uh, it is an important thing for us to remember this important person because without him, we we really wouldn't necessarily become part of the United States so even though it wasn't his intention it it did spur on that act that action so it's good it's good that the that the state did eventually recognize him and and embrace him
1: Anson Jones wanted to be president did not want to be a doctor that wraps things up for today you can buy notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on Facebook Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas. So tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And be a true fan. Support our show financially. Go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come and take a Texas Ranger. We hope you join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.